speak on this thought, generational praise. Generational praise. One generation shall praise your works to another generation and shall declare your mighty acts. Can we pray briefly this morning before I begin preaching this? Father, thank you for the word of the Lord today. Thank you that it's powerful, that it's mighty, that it's life-changing, God, that it's transforming. Give us ears to hear. Give us a heart to receive. Give us eyes to see. Give me a mouth today to speak that will be guarded today by your precious Holy Spirit. Let me say only what you want me to say. And I pray that when we gather in these altars today that the power of the Holy Spirit will do a work in our hearts and in our lives. Father, we love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, the church said amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Pastor Tony, thank you. I read a story some time ago that said a man was lost in the Mojave Desert. Said that he was dying of thirst. And off in the distance, he saw this old shack. As he staggered through the gate and into that old abandoned run-down house, he looked frantically for water. But the only thing that he could find was this old rusty pump. As he fell back on the floor in disappointment, he looked beside that pump and he saw this old dusty jug. He picked the jug up. He wiped the dust off and there on that jug, there was a note that read, you must prime this pump with all the water in this jug. At the bottom of that note, there was a P.S. that said, Be sure to refill this jug for the next thirsty traveler. He popped the top off of that jug, and sure enough, there was water in that jug. Hot, stale water, mind you, but water nonetheless, and he was dying of thirst. At that moment, that man had a decision to make. Pour the water in that pump or drink it. Reluctantly, he picked that jug up, poured all of that water into that pump, and began to pump. And he pumped, and he pumped, and he pumped. And when he was just about to give up, Out of the corner of his eye, he saw this little trickle of water that came out. He continued pumping, and he pumped, and he pumped, and he pumped, and then there came this stream of rusty brown water. He pumped a little bit more until finally there came out of that spigot, that pump, a stream of crystal, clear, cold water. He drank his fill. He refilled that jug, put the top back on that jug, and just before he set that jug back down by that pump, he wrote a note, put it on that jug, and the note said this, Believe me, it really works. 
Now, the message in that story is that we have a responsibility to do more than simply take care of ourselves. There are others who will follow in our footsteps. Other generations who are coming behind us. And when they get here, we must have left them something. One of the greatest concerns that I have as a father to my children and as a pastor to your children is that if we are not careful, Brother Gene Turpin, we are going to raise a generation of kids that are unfamiliar with the power and the goodness and the faithfulness and the greatness of an almighty God. There is a verse of Scripture, the book of Judges chapter 2, that is quite possibly one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible. And it speaks to us of the generation that was there with Joshua. That generation that came up with him that saw the power of God as he parted the Red Sea. They saw the power and the goodness and the faithfulness of God as he led them 40 years through the wilderness. They experienced the, the, the goodness of the Father as he took them into a promised possession. They saw the plagues. They saw God deliver them out of the hand of Pharaoh. But in Judges chapter 2 and verse number 10, the Bible says that after that generation was gathered to their fathers, there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. That bothers me when I read that. Somehow and some way that generation that came behind Joshua they did not know the Lord in the same way that Joshua's generation did. They did not know the power of God like Joshua's generation did. They did not know the faithfulness and the goodness of God the way that Joshua's generation did. I don't want to be guilty of raising a generation that's coming behind us that would say, we don't know the God of our fathers. We don't know the power of God. We don't know the faithfulness of Almighty God. If you read over in the book of Exodus, the Bible in Exodus chapter 16 it details for us the children of Israel having just come out of Egypt's bondage. And they are now in a wilderness on their way toward Canaan land, a, a, a promised land that God said that they could have because for 430 years they lived in a land that didn't belong to them, a place called Egypt. And God said, I'm going to bring you out. And when I do, I'm going to bring you into this wonderful land, a land that flows with milk and honey. It's a lush, wonderful place to be. And we know that it took them 40 years to get there as they wandered around in the wilderness. But as they first came out of Egypt and they found themselves in the wilderness, they became hungry. And there was nothing to eat and there was no water to drink. And they, they grumbled and they complained to Moses, Aunt B, and said, hey, we should have just stayed over in Egypt. It would have been better for us to have just stayed there and died because at least we had food and at least we had something to eat. And Moses goes to God on behalf of those grumbling, murmuring, complaining people. 
And he calls out to God, and I don't want to get into all of this story, but, but God every day for 40 years sends them something called manna from heaven. He literally rained down manna, this bread-like substance from heaven. The Bible said that it was sweet. It said it was like honey. I'm convinced that the first honey bun ever known to man was not made by little Debbie, but God himself made the first honey bun. And every day for 40 years, manna is there, and they get up in the morning, and they gather the manna, and they have enough for that day. And there's an interesting verse of Scripture in Exodus 16 and 32. God says to Moses, I want you to gather some manna. And I want you to put some manna in a jar. And I want you to save it for the, listen now, I want you to save it for the generation to come. That they may see the bread that you ate in the wilderness on your way out of Egypt. If you read verse 33, Aaron literally takes a pot or a jar of manna. He puts it in a sacred box called the Ark of the Covenant to keep as a tangible reminder of the goodness and the faithfulness and the power and the provision and the presence of God. Moses, I want you to put some manna in a jar and I want you to pass it down to the next generation. And when they look at that jar and they see that bread, I want you to tell them that God was faithful, that God was good, that God provided for us. And every single day for 40 years, we ate manna. And God never one time let us down. God never one time failed us. I'm telling you that if we're not careful, we're going to raise a generation that's coming behind us, that the power of God and the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God is a foreign concept to them. But as long as I've got breath in my body, as long as I've got kids in my house, as long as I serve as a pastor or a minister, I'm going to give a tangible reminder. I'm going to show tangible evidence that God has been good, that God has been faithful, and he is still the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God is faithful. We must tell the generation coming behind us. Oh, I feel the same way. Do you realize that every Sunday in churches all across this world that people from all walks of life, from different backgrounds, different races, different beliefs, and a wide variety of ages gather together to worship. You know what I believe that Sundays are? Listen, there are churches all across this landscape today in this country and even outside this country where it has become, I believe, what I, I call it a gathering of generations for the express purpose of worshiping and praising God. You could go into most any church today and you will find five different 
generations represented. Let me prove it to you. Born before 1945. Brother Turpin, do you fall in that category? Come on up here, please. And by the way, I like them shoes. I might have to beat you up and take them later. I don't know if we can trade. What size you wear? Well, they're too small. Okay. <clears throat> Born before 1945, this is what they call the traditionalist generation. Now I need a baby boomer. Come here, James Hanks, 1946 to 64. This is a baby boomer. Now I need somebody born between 1965 and 1980, which is my generation. It's a Gen Xer. Is that you, Sean? Do you fall in that category? Come here, please, sir. I notice I'm getting all men. I am not touching any women's ages. You forget it. I was born at night, but not last night. So you got a traditionalist right here. You got a baby boomer right here. You've got a Gen Xer right here. And then the next generation is what they call the millennial generation, which is the largest generation ever known to man. They were born between 1981 and 2001. Who, who can help me with that one? Come here, sir. Thank you. Volunteer. Go on that side of the short, bald dude. This is the millennials. And then present day, from 2001 up until now, we have what we call Generation Z. Do you, do you fit that? When were you born? Okay, you don't fit Generation Z. 2001. Come here, JC. Help me. Sorry, I thought you were younger than you were. See, I told you I want to mess with women, man. They get mad. Go over here. Thank you. She'll fuss at me when we get home later, but she'll be all right. <clears throat> so I want you to see this now. Today, and in most churches, now there's probably some churches that are, that, that, that are geared more toward much younger crowd. They don't have five generations represented. I think it's important that we have this many generations represented in this house every single Sunday. And the Bible says that one generation shall praise your works to another generation. <clears throat> one generation shall... Praise your works to another generation and shall declare your mighty acts. And here's my hope. My hope is that every generation will have their own stories of God's power and God's grace and God's faithfulness to tell another generation. But here's the concern that I have. If any one of these generations, especially this generation right here, if this generation ever stops talking and telling the stories, there's going to be a great gap that we can't fill. Because this generation right here, the traditionalists, they have something worth talking about. I'm just going to get comfortable for a minute. This thing is driving me crazy. Thank you, ma'am. So if this generation ever stops talking, we're in trouble. But if this generation ever stops talking, we're in trouble. If my generation, Generation X, ever stops talking, we're in trouble. And if the millennials, the biggest, the largest generation that's ever walked on this planet, and here's what prognosticators and statistics tell us, they tell us that this generation thinks that the church is irrelevant. They think that the church has nothing to offer. 
Prognosticators tell us that this generation will fall by the wayside and they'll have nothing to do with church and they'll never, ever practice their faith. I just want to declare those prognosticators are going to be wrong. Because here's why. Because generation after generation. And when we get down here to Generation Z, my kids that are Generation Z, if the Lord should tarry his coming, there will come a generation after them. And there will come a generation after that generation. And after that generation. And here's the point. We can't stop talking. We can't stop testifying. We cannot stop telling one generation to the next generation that God is faithful, that God is good, that his grace is sufficient, that the Holy Spirit is real and the power of God is still for us one generation has to pass it down to the next generation who passes it down to the next generation who passes it down to the next generation and everywhere we go we praise the mighty works of the Lord Jesus Christ generational praise alright y'all can sit down oh I got 20 minutes hold tight what I believe I'm going to speak today for these generations. And although I only represent Generation X, I want to speak for all five of these generations today. And I believe that it's vitally important that one generation looks at the next generation and says to them, I praise God that there is still power in prayer. Prayer should not be an afterthought. Prayer should be the only thought. Prayer is not a magic trick that we pull out of a hat, but it's a moment of faith that we pour out of our hearts. Prayer is not catchy cliches and pious phrases, but prayer is a passionate plea that is spoken from a heart that is pursuing God. Jesus had much to say about prayer in Matthew 7, 7 and 8. He said, ask and ye shall receive. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to everyone that asketh, receiveth. To him that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, the door is open unto him. He would go over in Mark 11 and 24 and say, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. In the book of James chapter 5 verses 16, 17 and 18, James would say that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. He would then go in to talk about that prophet Elijah who stood on the top of Mount Carmel in the book of 1 Kings 18 and prayed a 64 word prayer and God literally brought rain to the earth and here's what James would say. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months and he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says this and this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will we know that he hears us and if we know that he hears whatever we ask of him we know that we have the potential 
petitions that we have desired of him. Jesus in Matthew chapter number 6 would give a whole discourse to his disciples on prayer starting at verse 5 and going all the way through verse number 13. He would say to them, and when you pray. Do not be like the hypocrites. He said they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners that they may be seen by men. He said I tell you that they already have their reward. In verse 6 he would say this but when you pray he says go into your room and when you have closed the door behind you he said pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. He'd go down into verse number seven, and for the third time, he'd say this, but you, when you pray. Prayer is not an option in our life. Jesus is trying to get us to understand that prayer is a necessity when you pray. He said, do not be like the heathen. He said, they use vain repetitions and they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. He said, listen, don't be like them. He said, because your father, verse 8, he already knows what you have need of before you ever ask him. In verse 9, he said, but in this manner pray, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Listen, we need to tell the generations that are coming behind us that there is power in prayer. Prayer will work in the courthouse. Prayer will work in the schoolhouse. Prayer will work in the church house. Prayer will work in your house. If you'll turn your face toward heaven and call out to God, prayer still works. Hallelujah. I read a story sometime back about a man they called Rodney Gypsy Smith. Gypsy Smith was born on the outskirts of London in 1860. It was said that Gypsy Smith had no formal education, yet he lectured at Harvard. He was invited by two sitting United States presidents to the White House. They said that Gypsy Smith crisscrossed the Atlantic Ocean some 45 times preaching the gospel to millions of people. They said there was not ever one time that he preached that somebody did not surrender their lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ. But Gypsy Smith understood that the secret was found in the prayer closet. And here's what he said. He said, go into your house. Go into your room, he said, and lock the door behind you. He said, kneel down in the middle of that floor. He said, take a piece of chalk and draw a circle around yourself. He said, and there on your knees in the middle of that floor, he said, pray fervently and pray brokenly that God would start a revival within that chalk circle. You know why he could stand up in a lecture hall in Harvard with no formal education and talk to people. You know why two presidents would seek him out? You know why that he could preach the gospel to millions of people and somebody would get saved every single time? It wasn't his oratory. It wasn't his ability to dissect the scripture. It wasn't who he knew, but he understood that power is found on our knees. I'm telling you, prayer still works today. We cannot afford to put prayer
fire on the shelf, we must tell the generation coming behind us that there is power in prayer. We must turn our faces toward God and pray one more time. The greatest weapon we have at our disposal is the power of prayer. If you believe that, come on and praise the Lord. Here's the second thing that we need to look at the generations that are coming behind us and that one generation should be able to look at at, at another generation and tell them, I want to praise God that the word still works. There is not a greater treasure. There is not a greater gift in all of the world than this book that I am holding in my hand. Down through the years, it has become a compass for the confused. It has been a fire shut up in the bones of a weeping prophet named Jeremiah. It is joy in the midst of sorrow. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It is peace in the midst of the storm. It is a road map for the lost. The writer of Hebrews said it is sharp and powerful. It is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and of spirit and of joining of morrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It is sweeter than honey, and it is water to a weary soul. Jesus said that heaven and earth are going to pass away. He said, but my word will never pass away. He said, the grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of God stands forever. And I'd like to tell you today that the Word of God is still relevant, it's still applicable, and it still works in our lives today. All 66 books that are contained in here, they still work. All 1,189 chapters that are contained in this book, they still work. All 31,102 verses that you find in this book, they still work. Do you realize that this book was written over a period of 1,600 years. It was composed by 40 different authors and it contains over 3,200 verses that have already fulfilled prophecy. Do you realize that this book has been translated into 2,018 different languages? And when you compare that to Shakespeare who is considered by many to be the master writer of the English language, it's only been translated 50 times every single day in this country 168,000 Bibles are sold or are given away it is still the best seller of all times it worked 2,000 years ago for Jesus in the wilderness when he looked at the devil and said not once not twice but three times it is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God it is written you shall not tempt the Lord thy God it is written you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve listen it worked for Jesus in the wilderness and it will still work for us today the word of God it is still powerful it is still alive and it's still changing lives if you're thankful today for the word of God come on and praise the Lord it worked for Joshua when he took on the reins of leadership 
It's going to follow behind Moses, and here's what God said. This book of the law, Joshua 1.8, it shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it day and night that you may observe to, a, to do according to all that is written in it. And when you do that, God said you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. It worked for the psalmist in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3, when he said, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, whose leaves shall not wither, who shall bring forth fruit in its season, and whatever he does shall prosper. What I'm trying to tell you is that the word of God works. It's a road map for our life. It'll still bring success to your life if you follow it. It's still a building block we can build our lives upon. Jesus built the church upon the truth of the word of God. And we must let the generations know that the word of God, it still works for us today. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Listen, listen, listen. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Listen, listen to me. Listen. Here's what I want you to know about the Word of God today. I want you to hear me. In our quest for the Word to become relevant, in our quest for the Word to be modern, you know what we've done? We have, people have eliminated the truth from the Word. Now listen to me. If we're going to be relevant, you cannot remove the truth from the Word of God. It still is true. Everybody listen to me for a moment. Here's what one man said. He said, we've taken a historic 2,000-year-old faith, and we've dressed it in plaid and skinny jeans, and we've tried to sell it as cool to our kids. He said, and what we're doing is not cool and it's not modern. He said, it is a cheap, he said, what we're packaging is a cheap knockoff to a world we're called to evangelize. Now, I want you to hear me. The Word of God, it should be creative in the way that we tell it. I believe the way that we declare the truth and proclaim the truth of God's Word, it should be creative and it should be interesting. But you cannot take anything out of this book or away from this book. It is still the inerrant Word of God. There is no error in this. It has always been truth. It will always be truth. And if we're going to be creative in our teaching and our preaching, that's fine. But we must declare to the generations that are coming behind us and one generation should be able to pray to the other generation the fact that the word of God is still true and it still works. Thank God for his word today. If you're thankful for the word of God, come on and give him praise. Here's the last thing I want to tell you. And I got five minutes till the top of the hour. Is that one generation should look at another generation and say, I praise God that there's power in prayer. One generation should look at another generation and say, I praise God that the word still works. And one generation should look at another generation and say, I praise God that the Holy Spirit will still help us. The Holy Spirit is and he does.
so much for those who welcome him. You know what I found the Holy Spirit to be in my life, Brother Turpin? He has been a comfort. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws us to Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who endues us with power. The Holy Spirit is our guide. The Holy Spirit is our strength. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. And the Holy Spirit is truth. Do you realize that the Holy Spirit will do for you what you cannot do for yourself? He'll give you wisdom beyond words. He'll give you stamina beyond strength. And he'll give you gifting beyond ability. Listen, the Holy Spirit is not something, but he is someone. You can quench the Spirit. You can grieve the Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit is not some mystical being that's floating somewhere out there like Casper the Friendly Ghost. But the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is the third person of the triune Godhead co-equal and coexistent with God. But for far too long we have treated the Holy Spirit like the third wheel instead of the third person. And I want you to know today that the Holy Spirit has been and will always be God's gift to us. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. Listen, you don't believe the Holy Spirit is a necessity? Let's just ask Samson. How else, listen, throughout the book of Judges, there's this reoccurring phrase in this theme that says that the Spirit of God would move mightily upon Samson, move mightily upon other men and women. How else could Samson take a jawbone of a donkey and slay a thousand men? How else could Samson tie the tails of 300 foxes together and set them on fire and have them go out and burn up the fields of his enemy. How else could Samson pick up the gates of a city and physically move them? How else could Samson position between two pillars, ask God one more time, would you strengthen your servant? And he would push those pillars down and the enemy, the Philistines, more would die at that one moment than over his entire life. I'll tell you how he did it. It was the power of the Holy spirit that was working in his life. How in the world do you think the disciples could survive being beaten and mocked and persecuted and rejected and ridiculed and scorned? I'll tell you how they could survive because Jesus left them with the promise of power. In the book of Acts chapter 1 verse number 8 he said and the Holy Spirit will come up on you and you will be my witnesses. He said the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come up on you. Listen, in Luke 24 and 49, Jesus said, tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power. Jesus left the disciples a promise of power. Listen, they needed the Holy Spirit. Samson needed the Holy Spirit. And you and I today, we need the power of the Holy Spirit working, operating, and moving in our lives today. Pastor Tony, come play, please. The Holy Spirit will help you. The Holy Spirit is still needed in our lives today. And if we're not careful, listen, we are going to become more concerned with being politically correct than we are powerfully Pentecostal. Listen to me. There are preachers today and pastors today that will not let the Holy Spirit move in Pentecostal churches. 
because they're afraid of offending somebody. And I'm not concerned right now in this day and age that we're living in. I'm not concerned with being politically correct, Brother Beckner. I want the power of the Holy Spirit, Pastor Weaver, to work in our lives and work in our church. And if we're not careful, we're going to promote and pass down to a generation a powerless Pentecost. I still believe in the Holy Spirit as found in the book of Acts chapter 2. I still believe that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one place in one accord, Kenny Hancock, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. I still believe in that Holy Spirit. I believe that we need an experience with the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, I still believe that tongues is the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's not the only sign, but I believe it's the first sign that accompanies the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in the fruit. God help us. We need some fruit of the Spirit in our lives today. Because I've met some folks and I've seen some folks that can fall on the floor and speak in tongues and dance a jig around the church and then come Monday they act like the devil himself. <clears throat> I don't want just the power and the experience. I want the productivity and the fruit of the Spirit. And I want to close with this today. I want to go back to Exodus 16 for just a brief moment. And I am all for passing down experiences and stories of God's faithfulness. But if we're not careful, we'll get stuck in the past and we'll live on a past experience and a past blessing. I'm not interested in that. We need a fresh encounter and a new touch of God in our lives. Are you with me this morning? The Bible says in Exodus 16 and 4, here's what God said to Moses. I'm going to rain down bread from heaven for you. And he said this. Tell the people that each day, everybody say each day, they are to go out and gather enough for that day. Now remember, some of them were hard-headed and didn't do what God said. And they tried to gather a bunch and save it. So that it could be left over for the next few days. What happened? It began to rot, began to stink, and there were worms in it because they were trying to live off something from yesterday. Are you with me? Each day. So then in Exodus 16 and, and 21, Exodus 16 and 21, the Bible says that each morning they went out and gathered all that they needed for that day. And when the sun grew hot, the manna melted away. God said, I want you to have enough for today. I don't want you to try to live on tomorrow what you had today. I want to give you something fresh every day. And the Bible says in Exodus 16 and 35 that every day for 40 years they ate manna in the wilderness. You know what manna is translated to mean? It's literally translated to mean, what is it? Because when they walked out and looked on the ground and saw the manna, they said, what is it? It was everything and anything they needed every single day in that wilderness. 
And the provision of God can be whatever you need it to be, whenever you need it. And every day for 40 years, they ate man in the wilderness. And at the end of 40 years, guess what happened? The season of manna ended. And God provided in new ways. And God was faithful in different ways. And the season of manna came to an end. Listen, I am not just interested in passing down stories of the past, though we need to do that. I'm not just interested and passing down, well, look at the man. Look what God did. Look what God has done. We need to do that. But I, want, I don't want this generation just to know what God has done. I want to know what God is doing right now. And if we don't have a fresh encounter and a new touch of God, all we're going to have is generational praise that's based on the past. I don't want just something from the past, though we have to tell those stories. I tell my children stories. I've passed down to them stories of things God's done for us and ways that God came through for me when I was a kid. And we like to tell those stories, but listen, that's not enough. We need new manna. We need new evidence of the faithfulness of God. We need a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. I mean a fresh wave of God's presence, Pastor Tony, like we have never had before. So we don't have to always say, this is what God has done. But look, this is what God is doing now. Now. I don't want our church to live off of their history and the heritage that we had. And it's a good one. We're 97 years old, pressing on to the century mark of being a Pentecostal witness in this community. But I'm not just interested in what God did here in the past. I want something new to be able to say, this is what God is doing now. I want new manna. I want a fresh touch of the presence of God. Would you stand with me this morning? I sense the Holy Spirit here today. Just raise up your hands and welcome the Holy Spirit in this place, please. you're hungry for a new touch of God, a fresh touch of God today, you throw your hands up to the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, I want a fresh touch today. God, we want new manna. God, yeah, we want to tell the generations. We want one generation to look at another generation and say, this is what God has done. But Lord, I, I don't want just what you have done. God, I want something new that you're doing right now in our midst. Holy Spirit, we welcome you today. We welcome you today. You know, here's what I want us to do if you'll do this for me. I want those, those, those first two generations, if you were born, if you were born before 1945 and all the way up to 1964, will you come down here and meet me at this altar, please? I want that traditionalist and that baby boomer generation to come down here and join me at this altar. Fast as you can, please, would you do that? Come on. Before 45 and up to 1964, just come. Hey, when you get here, do me a favor. Just turn around and face the congregation. I want you to face the congregation, not the platform. Come down quick as you can.
Now here's what I want. I want that. I want the Gen Xers and the Millennials and Generation Z. Born from 65 until present to come stand in front of these folks. Would you do that, please, if you're here this morning? Come on. Born between 65 and present. Come stand in front of these, these people right here. closer back here in the middle aisle. Just come in a little closer. They're not going to hurt you. Now listen, listen, listen. Do you realize that you're facing a generation of people that know a whole lot about the faithfulness and the goodness of God? You're facing a generation of people that probably experienced some pretty lean times. Probably some people that 